So we're ready to get started. My name is uh, Ali Abubakar. I am a Deputy Program Manager of Engineering for our ground-to-air radio products. I've been uh, you know, fortunate to get involved in very exciting projects with GDMS, including projects for NASA as well as the FAA. And I've been in systems integration and test as well as test and measurement for over a decade. So today I'm excited to present to you virtual systems integration and tests. So I'd like to start by saying virtual communication is not a new concept. However, what I'd like to share here today is what my team and I did that turned out to be a very successful solution as well as a very effective one for our customers. So with that, we'll get into the details of this presentation. So we'll go over the overview, we'll cover the VSINT details, and then we'll close out with a conclusion. So at GDMS, our customers rely on us to solve some of their toughest problems. With technology as well as these problems evolving at very rapid speed, our engineers have come up with very smart ways to, to meet their needs. So why VSINT? At a very high level, to cut down time and costs, minimize errors, and also address any health concerns such as COVID-19 or if anything else comes along down the line, virtual communication will be there to support your testing. So a little background as to how we came up with our solution. We were involved in a very complex project and that project had a very compressed schedule. And at the same time, COVID-19 hit. So historically, our customers would come to our facilities to conduct in-person testing. So they would sit next to a test conductor and go through all different types of tests to make sure that you know, the product performs the way it's intended. So with the pandemic, that caused restrictions on their traveling. So we were faced with a very interesting challenge where the customers historically would sit with us and go through, for instance, uh, demonstrations, right? They will physically assess the system. They'd go through concept demonstrations, in-depth testing, you know, transmitter, receiver, system level testing, all the way to environmental drop, shock, vibration, etc. So the challenge we were facing was how do we present all this testing virtually? And at the same time, if these travel restrictions change, how do we revert our testing back into in-person testing? So in essence, if you're in systems integration and test, you want your practice test runs to be identical to your run for record. Any variables you introduce during your run for record could cost you time as well as money. So what did we do? Before we get to that solution, I'd like to mention that if you're planning on working with virtual communication or sharing information virtually, please make sure that you um, clear that with your governing body of your institution. That could be your program management office, it could be you know, your security office, etc. So, our solution. 
who integrated multiple modes to create hybrid test stations. These hybrid test stations would allow us to conduct our testing virtually, in-person, or in-person and virtually at the same time. So what you're looking at here to the left is just the bare bones of what you could do with um, virtual testing, or I mean the hybrid testing. So each of these items has a mode that we'll cover in detail, and you could stack those modes just based on what your testing needs are. And on this side, this is what the virtual observer is looking at, and again, we'll get into details of that. So the first thing we wanted to accomplish before we get into the details of these modes is how do we make testing safe for everyone involved? That means our test conductors as well as the test witnesses. So the first solution was we isolated all our hybrid testing into standalone stations in individual rooms. The rooms were well ventilated, of course, with um, all the sanitation items, face coverings, etc. And we wanted to have a maximum of five individuals per room. So once we, once we placed all the testing equipment for what we wanted to accomplish in one room, we made sure that you know, there was enough spacing for social distancing, meaning the test conductor is six feet from the first test witness, and the test witnesses are six feet from each other. So six feet all around. The next progression from there was how will communication be conducted in such a room? Because the in-person test conductors in that scenario will need to communicate with the virtual witnesses as well online. So we introduced large screen monitors, at least eight inches or above, and also introduced speaker mics where that communication would take place. So for in-person testing, for now, let's park that to the side that we have our whole setup complete. Next, we'll get into the other modes of, of testing. And as you can tell on the first column, that's all virtual. And at the end, there was in-person monitor displays directly connected to test instruments. So the test conductor would display you know, the test procedures, the different types of instruments, and if, for instance, test witnesses had questions, they could walk up to the test conductor and observe whatever you know, concerns they have and walk back. So let's look at mode one. Mode one is graphical user interfaces. The function is to configure, control, and monitor test equipment via web graphical user interfaces or soft panels. So vendors of pieces of equipment that you would use will provide you with such soft panels to control your instruments. So here we're looking at mode one. Mode one is connected to your computer that's controlling everything, and that's through ethernet connectivity. And as I indicated, you can stack multiple instruments with that connectivity just based on what your computer allows you to, uh, as far as its capability and number of ports it has. 
So with that mode, what do you need to be able to share information virtually? With the virtual participants, you need video conferencing software for communicating with online participants. This could be any ranging from Microsoft Teams, Microsoft, I uh, believe, uh, Skype, as well as Zoom or others, whatever you know fits your testing needs. Number two, it's video streaming software. Now, this is an important component of sharing this type of information because if you have multiple test instruments, it doesn't mean that these communication or conferencing software platforms will, will display all of these instruments. And that's a limitation. So with that video streaming software, it gives you a canvas where you can place multiple screens in one, as I indicated, canvas where you can share all your different types of instruments. The second mode is video cameras. So why did we use video cameras? You want to capture different types of hardware. For instance, if you have custom equipment that doesn't necessarily have any connectivity to the computer. So the camera was used to capture that information. In addition, we had multiple cameras where you could observe the entire test room or the test conductor can walk you through what they're doing in real time, whether they're connecting uh, you know, equipment or electronic boards, etc. you're able to walk you know, in sync with a test conductor. Connectivity, again, you need your conferencing software, video streaming as your base or canvas, your desktop computer and cables, etc. Multiple cameras as needed. Mode number three, still virtual participants, video capture devices. So that's mode number three. We have virtual uh, video capture devices for mode three and four, just to show you, you can still stack multiple items. So the reason you'd want to use these video capture devices is so that you can have seamless video quality, about 1080p video quality, and you can connect that, of course, HDMI, VGA, etc. But most importantly, it's for instrumentation that doesn't necessarily have the capability to, um, to share that information through the computer. So legacy pieces of equipment may allow you to test, but they don't have the newest firmware, etc., to have that connectivity um, to your computer. So you can use video capture devices for um, that scenario. And finally, there, mode number four. This is uh, same as above, as I mentioned, mode number three and four. These are just similar to demonstrate our testing. So this is the observer view. Again, these screens could be expanded or minimized just based on requests online. In addition, if you look at the window let the, the bottom to the, to the left, that window is showing a test data record. So that means the test conductor can display the test procedure and at the same time, once reading through the test procedure, enter data, measure the data, 
that will show up and then enter the data into the test data record. So everybody is in sync throughout the process. And having mul multiple virtual participants, it means everybody is able to be um, a contributor in the quality of your measurements. That being said, I think we've covered the virtual observers. We're coming down to the conclusion. Why use virtual systems integration and tests? Save time, lower your travel costs, eliminate any test station teardowns between, between tests, which keeps you consistent. Clarity of presentation, as I indicated, the virtual observers as well as the in-person witnesses are all in sync. Minimize errors, higher number of attendees, help review data prior to acceptance, health and safety, minimize any concerns, spread of COVID or other. Parallel testing tracks, you could have multiple test stations as we indicated. We had these hybrid test stations in multiple rooms and you can observe them simultaneously if needed. And finally, electronic record keeping where VSINT can be recorded, reviewed later for reference, training, or to resolve any discrepancies. And with that, brings us to the end of our presentation. Any questions? So that varies based on the testing needs you have, right? So if your testing involves having multiple people travel to view testing in person, you're cutting down travel, you're cutting down, um, you know, as I mentioned, tear down and test, you know, uh, setup time in between multiple tests. So in essence, if you have one hybrid station that has the capability of doing both in-person and virtual, you're staying put and just running through your procedures and it's as long as what those procedures take, right? Anything in between, you have eliminated that time frame. I hope that answers your question. All right. So what I'm hearing is, how did we move the hybrid test stations or just the cameras within the rooms? What, what, which part of the question are you asking? The short answer is you can move it anywhere. However, the way you want to plan it is having multiple rooms be standalone geared to a specific test, that minimizes your need to move the stations from one area to another, which again, increases the risk of you know, either connectivity going wrong or um, just any unforeseen circumstances. How long does it take to do that? How much? <laughs> On average. So at bare bones, a lot of these items that are used are readily available. The camera depends, of course, the quality that you use. The, you know, the lower the quality, the cheaper it is, but again, it depends on what you want to do. Um, the, you know, capture devices, again, they're not that expensive, um, you know, hundreds of dollars. But, um, you know, the main thing here to, the main takeaway is combining what already exists to support virtual communication to help you 
cut down big, you know, large costs in terms of just having um, a lot of movement and a lot of teardown and setup for your testing. So, because they're happening simultaneously, right, you know, think of a scenario where you, you know, the folks in this room are the virtual, I mean, the in-person test witnesses, and the same information that I'm presenting here is being shared with folks virtually. So the data we're seeing here, they're seeing, everybody's in sync, cuts down all the you know, back and forth and trying to communicate. Because traditionally, think about it, testing could be done while these uh, witnesses would, would have maybe paperwork in front of them, checking off what the system is doing. But now, since all the data is being entered right away, you know, you're eliminating that step as well, which could mean having people scan the, the, you know, the documentation later and read maybe red lines that are placed on those documents, which again, increase a lot of time having somebody to decipher what somebody's handwriting is and, and so forth. So there's a huge advantage to, to just staying virtual, which in this case, hybrid, to do both at the same time. So now that COVID and other travel restrictions are starting to lift, do you see that your customers are embracing this virtual hybrid environment and continuing with it, or do you see that they're looking to shift back to? So, you know, this was a resounding success with our customers, and again, it depends on the needs of of the type of program or, uh, or, t or testing you have. Um, you know, there's always value in having customers have a face-to-face -face interaction with, uh, with us. And if that's preferred, you know, we cater to what their needs are. So we were able to fit the testing that was required for that particular uh, customer and that particular program. So answering, you know, in terms of scope, we had everything that we needed. So it wasn't like other parts of our testing was, you know, were eliminated based on us going hybrid. So to answer your, just in short, everything that we needed for testing was, uh, was accomplished. So that is a, it depends, again, it depends on the type of product, it depends on, you know, there's some products that are, um, that cannot be shared without, you know, personnel with certain, you know, uh, clearance levels, et cetera. So there's a possibility, however, it's all in the negotiations between um, us and what the customer wants. So the way we performed our testing, we had one test conductor who was responsible for, um, we did not, the short, answer is we, the short answer is we did not introduce another test conductor in the middle of testing. However, if that is the case in any particular testing and a second conductor is needed, then your dry runs or your you know, practice runs are supposed to address any variations before you get to your run for record. So you would practice it out for however long that's needed, and once the time comes to run for record, everybody is in sync with, uh, with, their, with their segments of the test. 
Yeah, so it depends on how you, um, on what type of testing you're doing, but in general, you can embed um, calculations as needed in your test data records. You know, a very simple example would be using Excel, having all your data processing included, and as you're entering data, it's you know uh, going through ex extrapolating and and uh, making necessary calculations for what you need. But otherwise, you can just collect the data and do post-processing. For what we needed, we didn't have to do any post-processing. So one way to tackle your question is, once data has been collected, it can still be sent out to whoever the stakeholders are that need to review their data prior to final acceptance. It's a possibility. It doesn't mean that you have to accept it right away. Um, but if everybody is in agreement and that's how testing has been structured, then you will be done uh, right at that time. So has this virtual testing capability transitioned off of just your programs? Have you shared this knowledge with other programs within your business unit or other general dynamics business units? Yes, so our, our success story was shared within general dynamics okay. and um, adaptability, whether it's across or not at this point, I, you know, I don't have that information, but overall, it's, uh, it's always uh, a good route to take because virtual communication is not you know, going anywhere anytime soon. So with systems integration and test, as you're conducting that test, you don't want to introduce variations to the test. So for instance, if that data is being shared instantly, it's a possibility you can, you know, you can have a SharePoint location where, you know, others have access to and they're seeing that data being entered, but then you run the risk of that data accidentally getting changed by multiple virtual observers. You don't know who has gone in there and what has happened. So you want to keep things as controlled as possible. Once you're done, that data is signed off and shared, and if anything changes, and as I indicated, these tests can be recorded for further or you know for further reviews or checking for discrepancies. So you have all the records, and once it goes out to multiple people, then you can still you know check if something goes wrong. So you know, um, as I indicated, one way if there's a way to share maybe through SharePoint with your test conductors, then that would be something you guys can discuss. Yeah, so it was a co collaborative effort because we needed to understand whether they were able to come and visit us to um, you know, conduct in-person testing versus whether this whole thing will just stay virtual. And again, it was a very uncertain time and anything could change at any time. So going hybrid really uh, resolve that issue for us. So it was there initially, meaning we, we still had uh, virtual communication, but it did definitely help us, um, you know, take that step and, and make it um, a success story. So you can use this for essentially any project that you have. Um, and again, you know, if you're interested in joining us, you know, that's, that's absolutely uh, fantastic. And you know, we, can, we can discuss after this call.
All right, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Sean Roberts. I'm a software engineer at General Dynamics Mission Systems out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I work for the Space and Information Systems. Um, I've been with GD for 20-something years. And I've worked in many areas, from code development, network systems, to space and ground management systems. And I like to say I'm a dance dad, if you know what that means. <laughs> so I'm here to speak about crowdsourcing. How many of you know about General Dynamics Mission Systems? General Dynamics Mission System provides mission-critical solutions to those who lead, serve, protect the world we live in. We are technology integrators, original equipment manufacturers with deep domain expertise in land, sea, air, space, and cyber. We make platforms smarter to meet the goals of our customer. So why do we use crowdsourcing? It's not because it's a new buzzword. It has many facets. I listed them here on the slide. Our customer relies on it to provide innovative solutions to our, their toughest problem. And those technical solutions are needed now. We fully leverage our talent, talented workforce to address those problems. We push for our workforce to step up and tackle them in collaboration with our, tech, our technical leaders. You might notice that I have minions up here. But there's the dictionary term, and you don't have to ask Siri, Alexa, or Google for a dictionary term. But what I highlighted up here is project problem task. Those are the challenges for GD. That is the key why our organization uses it today. Traditionally, there has been one way to dream up ideas, great new products, services, good old fashioned research and development. But that doesn't always get you the results you need. General Dynamics kickstarts innovation by harnessing the power of large groups of people, volunteers, influencers, innovators, those out-of-the-box thinkers with great minds. Who are these innovators? These innovators are our engineers, our supply chains, teachers, our peers, industry leaders, scientists, even you, you might not know it, but we reach out to the, the masses. And we always reach out to the masses because we want everyone involved in solving our technical problems. So let's talk about the crowdsourcing process. Our leadership, including engineering fellows, director of engineers, even our scientists, select and prioritize the, the challenges 
which are the problems, the projects, and our task. Based on technical capabilities required to address the top problem facing our company and our customer. The vast majority of these challenges are technical. They vary in nature, they're complex, but they have a business priority. With the emergence of crowdsourcing platform technologies, we are able to get the word out through channels like email, web portals, online tech talks, even a hub talk, even through apps as well. Our hope is to focus on an online group of thinkers, innovators like you. Once the word is out, we wait. We wait for your great ideas to roll in, and we manage those with a process that is in arm's length. So what happens next? Well, these well-thought-out solutions from great minds like you are precious. So we funnel those solutions into a review board. They're rated based on their novelty, complexity, and their return on investment. We might even also do a feasibility study. Then we collaborate with our fellows, as you see the cloud down here, the collaboration cloud, our directors and cloud network, and our virtual, and also in virtual rooms. We draw up concepts on concept boards. We determine how to move forward with these ideas. So what happens next? The well-thought-out solutions from the great minds that, that provided them piqued our interest. So we personally and professionally recognize them through scholarships, grants, funds. Sometimes it's just good old-fashioned cash. We contribute time and funding to their ideas, their solutions. We sometimes give them the ability to actually execute their idea, which is quite fun and exciting. And I've been on those type of activities. Um, being hands-on on those activities um, gives the solver a sense of pride that they're involved in the, the project. So to come to close, crowdsource Innovation is a continuous cycle. Starts off as a problem or a challenge. It involves you, me, and all our peers. And those ideas come in and we funnel them in to our, cloud, our collaboration cloud with our engineering panel. Once we make a selection, we award those who provide the solutions. Those ideas pour in and basically the responses are, could be one to many. It engages the employees, the leaders, even students that we recruit, and those members of other organizations. It involves you and me. It is our catalyst for great minds to participate. Trust me. With crowdsourcing, you're gonna anticipate responses. There are gonna be plenty of responses. But those responses is because those people, those innovators, they wanna gain personal growth, help solve 
these challenges that are facing our customer. They want to contribute to ideas on cutting edge technology. And they want to collaborate with top technical leaders in their environment, just as you like to. Everyone has a skill that supports crowdsourcing activities. Um, so, you want to be a part of it? That's all I have. Any questions? So, in the case of crowdsourcing, it comes, these are tough problems. So our engineering fellows are highly technical and they know our environment throughout the whole company. So basically, they, they come in and they decide what the problem is or what the business opportunity is. But how to get to the end results, they don't have an answer to. So basically, what they do is internally send it out to the masses, talk about it through engineering hubs, communicate it in virtual rooms, and, and collaborate with other team members so that they get the word out within the organization. We are, I would say, largely about 10 to 13,000 members within General Dynamics Ministry System. We can't reach everyone. So basically, what we do is we we bring it to the hub, we email it out, make sure people are know about it. And then we get plenty of responses. And then it gets funneled to those engineering um, fellows. And those fellows look through each one, disseminate it, and make sure that they know what they're, if they're focused on the viable solution. Do you feel like you're getting diversity of thought when you're pulsing your engineering team? I mean, I mean, if we had, you know, I'm, I'm in the Air Force, right? So if we had a tough problem, pulsing my engineers, who I work with day to day, who understand the minutia of the job, right? Are you really getting a lot of diversity of thought from them? That's number one. And then number two, because I, I wouldn't think that you would. Um, and then, you know, you, she had, had a really good question that I kind of wanted to piggyback on. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got lots of questions. <laughs> um, so you've got technical, you know, issues that you're trying to tackle. Um, and then, how are you posting people who aren't technical to help you solve those? I, don't, I, don't I just don't understand, like, you're saying you've got two, you know, pathways, you've got your technical team that's inherent of the organization, and then you have, like, this non-technical, you know, like, you know, people who are, like, on social media and all this other stuff. I just don't understand how you're blending that to get, like, real solutions to help your company. Well, that's like three questions. So, as an engineer, yeah, we we think that internally we can actually solve the problem, but when I'm talking about the masses, I'm talking about supply chains. The, those folks that we interact with um, externally, it could be the masses. That's where the diversity of thought comes. That's exactly right. um, however, you need to obfuscate it, so you. Don't, for us, we, we are a military, civil, government, defense company. Right. So we look for small solutions, small viable solutions, like the ridges on the water bottle. Why do we want them? Because we want it to crush. We want something that crushes really fast. Or something to the nature we'll talk to, hey, we got the software, in, software interest. And it's a GitLab thing. Um, I don't know if anyone knows that, but I'm a software guy, so. But there's plenty 
of diverse thought behind GitLab. Um, there's also plenty of thoughts behind the way they, they build their software. Um, yeah, when I say diverse, diversity of thought, it's not always one way is the highway, basically. They, we get incoming inputs from other, other areas. And then we take our engineers and say, hey, I want you to go research that. If it's outside, resource that and get involved with that that um, supplier or that vendor. Basically, we, we do have those issues where we, we think it's internal that we can solve it, and we do we do reach out and, and basically we do get the inputs that we need. And some of those inputs are not all perfect. In some cases, it's just as Sean indicated, it's just a seed idea that you know. Just an idea to perpetuate for... Yeah. Okay. We see them. I, I can see some value in that. Yeah. So highly classified challenges don't go out. Okay. Basically. Okay. <laughs> small, small products, you know, gotcha. that's kind of out there in the field, but not really to the masses. It's not, not always... We're not in the industry, basically. Okay. So those, those challenges or those ideas do get fun to the engineering fellows. But the engineering fellows do bring up the person that normally brought, brought, brought the idea to them, um, or the solution. Um, they get to work on them with them, and then they, move, they put them in positions where they can spread the word. Um, it, it, we funnel, what we're trying to do is funnel up those ideas from those who give us a different perspective. And yeah, being in 20 years in the, in the software business, I've been in C++ and C, don't know much about what they're doing in Java these days. So when we want to do something different, we try to reach those who are basically in the, in the, the latest code development realms that way. Um, now, most of, most of our teams are usually in basements or basically basements. Yeah, I have to say most of our classified folks who code in basements, but they have seen different code structures or something like that. And we just need to bring that up. Even though it's out in the industry, we don't know about it. And basically, once it's up to a point where the engineer fellows know it, it gets spread amongst the masses. Um, we do a good job in transitioning a, a, a design or a process in our company to most of the throughout, throughout our company. Every response is responded to, basically, um, especially external ones, because when we get responses from external, we have to respond to them, and we, we score them. Um, and basically, those, those scores go back to us and say, yeah, great idea, but you're way off base or something like that. Um, yeah, some, some folks will ch just throw you a bone, and like, when we just throw it back at them, basically. <laughs> But when it comes down to something like, hey, you just gave us a design that seems like we can do something with it and prototype it, will you hear back from us? So um, most of the solvers that if we open it up to the outside, we have NDAs in involved, and there's a third party that handles those. Uh, we don't do it alone. Um, there's companies out there like Brains, Brainset, uh, with Zuka, uh, even you would be surprised, like TikTok does it. And you 
and they just do it for us. But it's an NDA, and if we want to bring them in or we find out more about that company, we may just invite them to come to, the, come to our site. So we, we had a situation like that where we had this idea. Um, most of your, you ever heard of DAP, the AirTags, GPS AirTags? So we had this idea, yeah, we want to use the GPS. But the way AirTags did it, it was kind of sort of like, yeah, that's what we were looking for, like movement on the ground. Um, we got ideas from external, external groups that said, hey, we looked at this, and this doesn't work well over hills. And, and we took that into account. And we invited them in and said, so actually, this came from a professor, basically. So we went and looked at his patent, and it was actually a student that pointed us to the patent, and we rewarded him for getting us that idea of that patent that was out there. So yes, it does, students do get involved and they get on those uh, freelance sites and they see these problems that we, they're, we're facing and they don't know who they're talking to. Sometimes that's the external group, but internally they know it's us, but externally the students, influencers, scientists, even professors, um, yes, there is a budget. They, uh, our engineering leadership hand, uh, handles that budget. More than likely, if you had, let's say, externally, solutions can be ther theoretical. Um, they can range from 15000 to 30000 But you may get many responses to it. Uh, so what's the best solution? So you can score them and say, yeah, I did like this person's solution over here. And, but you didn't really want to take it further than that. But we do allocate a certain amount of funding for that. So if you think about R&D, doing internal R&D, let's say we invested 15 to 30%. We kind of take some of that 30% and say, okay, let's use 10% to get some ideas from other places, N not only in the company, but externally. So I've heard of a, a system like this that um, in the idea cloud, the system is gamified, and so it makes it more like interesting, I guess, to interact. Yeah. And people get like rated and stars and all sorts of things that make it more fun. Is that is the system designed in that way? Um, externally, I haven't seen that system. I've seen with. I want to say Microsoft does it um, under their gaming cloud. Um, I know PlayStation Sony does it for the virtual environments and what the rates, they rate certain things because I'm like, I like virtualization. They rate them and they, the inputs that come back, it's coming back from young, young kids and, and it's, it's like fluid. Um, and basically, those, that rating kind of drives the next design aspect of it. Um, not only that Microsoft or Sony does it, Lego does it. They get creative ideas. They have a creative idea site. You can go to their site and you'll see it. Uh, basically, they say, hey, what's our next design? And kids just write a type away and give an idea. Unilever, if you know what Unilever is, frozen food processing. 
Unilever reaches out for new processes and basically they use it to, you know, up their ante as well. Okay, so we don't evaluate the person, we evaluate the idea. The panels are large, so yeah, and it's scored amongst the whole panel. So let's say our engineering fellows, I'm gonna say 30 to 40 engineering fellows, internally, if you submit through an internal submission, uh, yeah, they're all, they all are collaborating on it. Um, but externally, it's a difference. So it, it, we, even though it comes through the channels, there's a filter. If it doesn't even show like it's a possibility, it doesn't even get to us. So basically, we just throw it on, throw it on the floor and say thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right.